Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everybody, JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer here, another Baseball America podcast. We've got a MLB podcast today. We are now in September, which means the dog days of August are behind us. The waiver deadline, which we didn't even know when we were at the end of the trade deadline, would actually be somewhat important. The waiver deadline, as far as being able to play in the postseason, is now passed. But the perfect way for us to lead in is we're going to talk about the major leagues and the pennant races and MVP and all that. The perfect way to lead into this, Kyle, is what a game last night. If you are on the East Coast, we're recording this on Friday, September 1st. If you're on the East Coast and you went to bed early, I will raise my hand and say I did not. I stuck around through this because it was so good. Dodgers, Braves, Braves end up winning it. But, man, what a regular season game, Kyle. Look, this is regular season baseball at its best. The teams with the two best records in baseball heading into the night. Look, the Braves jumped out to a 7-1 lead. Spencer Strider was on point. Ronald Acuna Jr. hit a grand slam, became the first player ever with 30 homers and 60 steals. And it looked like the Braves were asserting that, yes, they are the far and away best team in not just the National League, but Major League Baseball. And then the Dodgers, with that relentless offense of theirs, just kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Mookie Betts hit two home runs. Michael Bush hit a homer. Max Muncy hit a homer. And all of a sudden, that 7-1 deficit became an 8-7 deficit. And it was nail-biting down to the end. Dodgers had the tying run on second with one out in the ninth. The Braves escaped. You know, Rachel Iglesias uh, got Kike Hernandez to strike out through a, a nasty two-seamer, drop down, and then uh, finish him with a slider. Just a great game, and this is baseball at its best. Two great teams going at it, the best players performing their best, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Mookie Betts. We'll talk about that MVP battle later in the podcast, but both of them showcasing their supreme talents, putting their teams on their back, and carrying them really to one of the most exciting games of the year. I know that this is, you can never predict what's going to happen in the postseason, but these are clearly the two best teams in the National League, and the idea of an NLCS matchup between the two of them is very, very, very exciting. Um, this was only game one of a four-game series. We got three more matchups between them, and I know I'm looking forward to them. I'm uh, dreading the fact that we have a puppy that gets up at 7 a.m. Eastern no matter what, even if it's Saturday. And that means I'm going to be really tired tomorrow because I can't imagine, unless the game gets blown out early, I can't imagine turning off the TV before this one's over if it's half as good as it was last night. And like you said, the, the thing that you can't, there is no guarantee that this will be a playoff series for us. Obviously, the playoffs, there's a lot of variance to it. The best teams don't always advance. But man, watching that game, it's just hard to not, if you're, if you're not a diehard fan of another NL team that you want to advance to the World Series, 
as a fan of baseball, it's hard not to root for that series just because it's everything you want to see. And again, especially, which is a perfect segue into kind of our, our look at the uh, where everything stands as we, we enter September. The thing that jumps out about this is these are the Braves who have the best record in baseball right now and a 14-game lead in the NL East. And then these are the Dodgers who have the second best record in baseball and have a 13 and a half game lead over the giants. These are not the pennant races are done here. These are two teams that are setting up for the postseason, all that. And that's okay because we still do have some races. And most importantly, and this is where we're going to start off. Kyle, as you look at the AL West right now, if that game last night was fun, the final month should be just as fun, hopefully, in the AL West, where we have Seattle and Houston tied and the Rangers one game back. Three teams, all with a legitimate opportunity and almost kind of a feeling like they should win it. Every team here, the Mariners are like, we're the team that's come back. We're the hottest team here. We're clicking. Everything's here. The Astros, because it's like, we own this division. We win it every year. We're not giving it up. And the Rangers, because as bad as August was, they can legitimately say, for most of this season, we've been the best team in this division by far. It's our division. How do you see it kind of shaping up as we go into the final month? Any of these three teams can win it. Uh, the Mariners right now, talk about shades of 1995, coming back from the deficit they did. We just are a Louis Soho inside the park grand slam away from this really being 1995. But what the Mariners have done is nothing short of remarkable. This team was 47 and 48 and 10 games back of first place on July 19th. That was the day Jared Kelenic uh, kicked a water cooler and broke his foot. Since then, they're 29 and 9, the best record in the major leagues. They've climbed all the way back from that 10 game deficit to hold first place in the American League. They're percentage points ahead of the Astros right now. And we saw this last year. The Mariners got off to a really slow start last year. They turned it around going into the All Star break. So we know this team has the ability to come back from a slow start, but that started earlier last year. That was going into the break. They got hot. This year was post All Star break. I mean, this team. They've been pitching pretty well over the course of the season, but what's really changed is this offense has completely woken up. Uh, before the stretch, they were averaging four and a half runs per game. As a team, they're hitting 230 with a 698 OPS. So Julio Rodriguez was kind of chasing everything. Ty France had taken a step back. Cal Raleigh had taken a step back. Eugenio Suarez had taken a step back. The offense was really just not very good, to be frank, for most of the year. And then Julio Rodriguez started heating up, and the rest of the team followed. Uh, during this stretch, the Mariners are 29-9. They're averaging almost six runs per game. They're batting 279 with an 849 OPS as a team. I mean, this has been pretty much the best offense in baseball, or one of them, over the past six weeks or so. And it all starts with Julio Rodriguez. I mean, since this stretch started, he's hitting 386 with an 1,100 OPS, or I should say it's a 1,120 five four-hit games in his last 10 games. And here's the craziest thing. He had this really, really slow start, was not playing well at all. This is how hot he's been. He leads the American League in hits right now after really being, uh, you know, really struggling for most of the season. He's been so hot these last six weeks. He's surged into the American League League for hits. Look, this is the heart and soul of the team. Everyone else is falling. Raleigh, France, Suarez, all of them. 
Uh, Josh Rojas has been a nice addition who's upgraded over Colton Wong at second base. You take that with this pitching staff, which the rotation, the bullpen, this looks like a playoff team. And, and I think right now, if you say, oh, the Mariners are just super hot, they're going to regress and, and fall back. I think you're talking about an entirely different team. The way they're playing right now and how they've consistently been playing, I think it'd be a mistake to write this off as just a hot stretch and say they're going to fall back. Well, especially this is a team that we saw this last year too. It's not something where this is a where did they come from team. This is kind of more, I would say, what we expected this year. Uh, Last year was the breakout, right? The breakthrough. This year is supposed to be the next step forward. For a long time, it didn't look like that was coming. But you look at it now and you say, okay, maybe it is happening. But the other part to me is come playoff time, if they get there, that's a rotation I I just don't want to face if I'm another team. Come close. Oh, absolutely. I don't want to face Kirby. I don't want to face Castillo. (laughs) I don't want to, you know, Gilbert is, again, these are all guys who you're like, yeah, that's, that's a good matchup for them versus almost whoever you throw out there. And then, as you said, if if Julio Rodriguez continues uh, to be so hot that he kind of glows with kind of a you know like a you know in a thermonuclear way, you don't want to face him either. So, so that's them. But at the same time, here we are. We, we're sitting here in, in Houston, who obviously has also had their their kind of ups and downs this year, and and I feel like at times as such a, a team with heads that's had such success, I feel like there's times it was kind of almost like they were in the waiting room is the best way I'd put it. We don't have our guys right now. Once we get them back, watch out for us. And, and that's kind of, I feel like where they're, they're getting to right now. Absolutely. You know, it's really funny to me. You think about the Astros, they're the defending world series champions. They've represented the American league in four last six world series. And they almost get kind of forgotten about like, oh, yeah, them. It's like, no, these are the guys who have the rings. This is the team to beat, not just in the American League, but look, they're the defending champions. They're, they're the team to beat in Major League Baseball, despite the fact the Braves and Dodgers have better records. They're the champions. And the biggest thing with them, as you mentioned it, is they were not really a complete team for most of the year. Jose Altuve uh, taking that hit by pitch in the World Baseball Classic missed the first half of the season. He's back. He's been great. Jordan Alvarez had an injury. He just got back. And Alex Bregman is starting to heat up after a slow start. He's quietly been very, very, very good over the last two months or so, and really the last month, uh, month and a half especially. We're now seeing the Astros fire on all cylinders. Altuve's back. Alvarez is back. Bregman's hitting like he normally does. Uh, they just put together a 600 win percentage in August. It's their second best month. And you're starting to get the feeling of, okay, this is the Astros team that we know this is the team at its peak form. And there have been some starting pitching issues, but as always with them, they've been able to call guys up and, and really f- help internally. JP France has been the guy this year. Older rookies come up and quietly been one of the better rookies in the American League this year. Uh, has really helped given Jose Arquiti's struggles. Uh, Christian Javier has not been as sharp as hoped for. So I think we're finally seeing the whole Astros come together. And that's a very, very scary thought. Um, they're tied for first place in the AL West with the Mariners right now. Again, the Mariners percentage points ahead. But I, I do think that you have to consider the Astros, the World Series contender they are every year, despite the fact the record might not be as good, despite the fact they haven't been the juggernaut. 
getting Justin Lander back is a huge addition. Again, the Astros right now, you know, for the first time feel feel whole again, or at least I should say for the first time over the last month, that that's really the first time they felt that way. And that's a very, very scary thought for opposing teams. But then we also have the Rangers who basically had their first bad month of the year last month. Bad, poorly timed. And when we say bad, it was something where, hey, they've got a comfortable lead. Hey, that lead's closing. Hey, that lead's gone. And I mean, that was in the span of, I, I think I had a, a, a carton of, a, you know, a gallon of milk that uh, we didn't consume during that period of time. And it was still fresh. So you look at this now, but the other thing is, is they've also gotten a couple of Jonah Himes back, which I didn't even know if we were going to see him back this year. You know, it's an injury. It's like, there's a lot of it was described as how well can he both be effective and how well can he manage what was not going to be healed, but basically was going to be all about pain management. Do they have, do you think what it takes to kind of jump back to the front of this three-way race? Or is, is August the sign that this kind of what we said with Seattle last year, Seattle was Seattle's breakthrough after a long period of, you know, uh, you know, some long drought and here we have the rangers is that like they've had a good season but they're gonna have to kind of say great that was a a nice step forward but but just not enough i think it would be a mistake to count the rangers out you mentioned jonah himes injury losing josh young hurt a couple of other hitters kind of fell into some slumps and look they had a really really poorly timed uh, eight game losing streak and that coincided with the mariners reeling off uh, their dominant stretch, or I should say being in the middle of their dominant stretch, and and the Astros, again, playing very, very well in August. I I do think when you look at this Rangers team, you still see an offense that, you know, one through nine can hurt you, and you still see a really good starting rotation. Max Scherzer and Jordan Montgomery have both been excellent since coming over in trades. I mean, we talk about starting pitcher trades. Justin Verlander has been great for the Astros. Scherzer and Montgomery have been great for the Rangers. The biggest thing for the Rangers is they've got to get this bullpen figured out. Uh, we saw them acquire Roldis Chapman. They installed him as the closer, and he promptly blew his first two save opportunities. And that is a weakness they have that the Mariners certainly don't have. Um, you know, the Astros certainly don't have with Ryan Presley at the end of games. So that, to me, is going to be the biggest thing and, and the biggest advantage the other two teams have. At the same time, you've got a really good starting rotation. You have a good offense that, again, a couple of guys that have been slumping a little bit. You've had a few injuries. But for the most part, this is a dangerous offense that can explode at any time. I, I think they're in it. I don't think this is the, oh, you know, they had a great start, but they're going to tail off here. They, they went 11-13 and 13 in July. August was not a great month. We talked about that eight-game losing streak, you know, falling out of first place entirely. But this is a Bruce Bochy managed team with a lot of talent, a lot of veteran talent that's been there. I think this three-way race will go down to the wire. I expect the Rangers to be in it. It's really just going to come down to, is this bullpen, especially at the end of games, going to be able to lock some things down? Because, I mean, that was the difference in quite a few games during this poor stretch. It wasn't like they were getting blown out. It wasn't like they were struggling. You know, their starters were struggling to get out third or fourth inning. They just had leads in the ninth. They blew them and, and sometimes lost in extra innings in quite a few instances. So they've got to get that nailed down. If they do, and, and we've seen relievers turn things around fairly quickly, I think they'll be right back in it. And, and I do think it would be a mistake to count them out. 
the other thing with that is is that what stands out with that it kind of surprises me i know their, their bullpen has been a little shaky lately but it's not like that that they just utterly lack for viable guys this is not a situation where you look at this bullpen and say well yeah they just don't have anyone who can get anyone out this is the bullpen who has uh, a number of guys i know chapman blew a couple of saves lately but he's been fine for them in general and you know brock burke's been solid leclerc like will smith isn't i don't think mr reliable but at the same time he is absolutely a guy who can get you an inning or two this isn't a team that utterly lacks for options and as you noted if starting rotations rolling along you're still going to need them but it's not like you're going to need them for five innings a night six innings a night because this is a, a solid rotation that's obviously the most exciting division race that we have but we do want to cover the other ones too because we do have some others that are still feisty even if we're not looking at UNL East and NL West but we'll do that right after this quick break we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed if you need to hire you need Indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And we're back. So, Kyle, as we kind of spin around and we'll, we'll kind of stick in the American League right now, let, let's quickly, we could write this one off pretty quick, but is I felt like that the Guardians were kind of uh, pulling the plug in the AL Central, and then we'll get to this a little bit later. Obviously, maybe they're not. They claimed, they they just said, yes, we claim them. You know, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll take them. We will take them. If you're a pitcher and you're on waivers from the game, you know, we will take you. And so maybe they're not. They're only five games out. That's still the Twins, and the Twins are not exactly a juggernaut, but that still feels like, I, I, to me, five games in a five games in a month in a, in a division where teams struggle to be significantly above 500 seems like a lot to me. 
But am I crazy to think that that's probably not going to tighten that much? It's tough to see that one tightening just because the Guardians have have struggled most of this year. They're 64 and 70. They've struggled to score. Um, the pitching staff has had some injuries. And, and these additions were certainly nice. You see Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Matt Moore, all guys who can help a team. And, and I do think it was smart of them to, you know, make the waiver claims, give it a shot. And the Twins are certainly not invincible. At the same time, it's just tough because the Guardians have not shown us at any point this year that they are, you know, a contender caliber team. Um, but I actually think the central race that's more interesting to me, JJ, is the central. The Cubs are only three games back, and I feel like they've very, very quietly had a very, very good year. Their run differentials plus 77. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much better than the Brewers is, again. And, and I think, too, I look at the Cubs – you know, the schedule they have coming up, I wouldn't call it a soft spot in the schedule, but a manageable spot in the schedule. They've got four games against the Reds, games against the Giants and D-backs, who are fine, and they're in wildcard contention, but the Cubs have better records than both of them. Then they get the Rockies, D-backs, and Pirates, Rockies again. I mean, six games against the Rockies, three against the Pirates, games against the Reds, Giants, D-backs, all teams the Cubs have better records than. I actually think the Cubs have a chance here to get off to a good start pull closer and then we get to the end of the month they get three games against the Braves and then a a series against the Brewers uh to finish the season I mean that that series could be for the division title um I I really think the Cubs have a chance here in September to you know do some special things that's the race to me that's actually more interesting among the central races The, the other thing I'll say for the Cubs here that is impressive and I think also important is They've done it this year, admittedly weak division, but they've done it this year as they've kind of are still, I would say, in some measure. It's not a rebuild, but at the same time, it's been kind of a transformation where they have been bringing up. They had they they have managed to find some guys who some players who uh, uh, Justin Steele is obviously now a more significant part of their future than than many of us thought me included coming into the year, uh, you know, to see what they, they, they now have a legit closer, you know, in, in Azalea, they, they've got a lineup that's, that's helped kind of, yes, Cody Bellinger kind of return to being Cody Bellinger has been probably the most important part, but at the same time, they have kind of brought up some, uh, they, they, they've, they've kind of figured out what they are a little bit more now um, in a way where, I think it's kind of a positive sign for where they're also going to be in, in 24, 25, the farm system, I think is significantly better than it was a couple of years ago. There's something here that whether they catch the, uh, the brewers or not. And obviously I don't think we should utterly rule out the reds, although it sure does seem to have the feel of the great season, considering where you were breaking in this many rookies, but, I just don't know if they're going to have enough to 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 kind of bounce back from a, a month where they they kind of lost a lot of ground. Yeah, I mean the Reds are only a game and a half back out of the wild card, but Nick Lodolo is announced to miss the rest of the year, and we've seen Ellie De La Cruz in particular really really hit that rookie wall uh, since the All Star break. Uh, as of yesterday, he was hitting a buck seventy nine with a thirty nine percent strikeout rate as he's going through that adjustment period. So. I do think this is a two-team race with the Cubs and the Brewers. And, and you mentioned the Cubs and you know, kind of the rebuild and how they've accelerated it. 
you go back to the 2021 trade deadline and they tore it all down. They traded Anthony Rizzo. They traded Chris Bryant. They traded Javier Baez. They traded Craig Kimbrough. I mean, they, this was a full-on teardown. And we've talked about this. Normally when teams orchestrate the kind of teardown the Cubs did, it's a four-year process to get back to the postseason. Now, the addition of the sixth playoff spot, the, the third wild card, is going to change that dynamic a little bit. Um, but the Cubs deserve for kind of how they they've rebuilt on the fly. You talk about homegrown players helping out, you know, Nico Horner, Christopher Morell coming up and being an impact player. We talk about Justin Steele's development as a starting pitcher, and they've done some really, really good things on the free agent side as well. You know, bringing in players who can help like Marcus Stroman, Cody Bellinger, one year deal was turned out to be a great, great deal. He just needed a, a change of scenery. You talk about Adbert Alzale, you know, another homegrown guy becoming an effective closer, the Cubs have done some good things here and their farm system's in a good place. So I, I agree with you that no matter what happens this year, even if they fall short, um, whether it's, you know, in the division race or even if they fall out of wildcard position, which they're currently in, you have to be encouraged by how quickly they've accelerated this rebuild and just the smart additions they've made. Now, not all of them have worked out. Jamison Tyone has, has struggled a lot this year. Um, Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer were not very productive this year. They're no longer with the teams, so but it's not perfect. But there's no question the Cubs are in a much better place than they were a year ago, two years ago. And I think that's that's encouraging. But I, I do think they have a legitimate chance to win this division. And that, to me, I think is actually going to be the most exciting race in the National League. And outside of the AL West, it's actually going to be the race I'm watching closest. I, I think the the one last one we need to touch on is the AL East. Obviously, we have the Orioles and the Rays. And I just... The Rays have have. I will give them credit for being at 82 wins despite what seems like a thousand pitching injuries, as well as uh, the the loss of Wander Franco to uh, potential not just disciplinary but very serious uh, you know investigation. That's an off the field investigation. So that you know, very very decent likelihood that that you know he he may not be back this year all that said I, I just look at the orioles right now and say you know most likely to finish the uh the season with the best record in the al again the team that's now that's here we've been waiting for this to arrive and and here it is and i so that kind of puts the bow on it which i wanted to ask you we talked about it it's the dodgers and it's the braves in the nl in the al as we look at the last month Right now, knowing what we know right now, who do you think are the teams most likely to represent the uh, the AL in the World Series? Yeah, I mean, there's no clear-cut favorite here. I, I think you still have to defer to the Astros. Again, I go back to they're the defending champions for the last six World Series they've appeared in. They're battle-tested. They've got Justin Verlander back after the trade deadline having Altuve back, having Alvarez back, Bregman really swinging a hot bat recently. I mean, Chaz McCormick has blossomed into an exceptional player, you know, well beyond what anyone thought was possible offensively. Um, we've seen some internal reinforcements on the pitching side. Again, J.P. France coming up. Hunter Brown's had some ups and downs, but overall he's done a nice job. I, I, I just look at this team and say they've been there, they've done it. When they're firing on all cylinders – they have to be considered the team to beat in the American League. 
I do think the Mariners, the way they're playing right now, and especially with the pitching staff they have, they're a real threat. I still think they're a real threat. And look, the Orioles and Rays have some very, very serious flaws for the Orioles. It's a lack of a frontline starter, the, the kind that you want going into the postseason. And for the Rays as well, I think you have to give them credit for how resilient they've been given all their pitching injuries, given the investigation into Wander Franco. It really, really is impressive and speaks to the organization and their leadership and their depth. Um, but I do think when you just line up the talent compared to some of what these the AL West have, they, they fall a little short. So to me, I, I really do look at the three teams in the AL West as the most talented teams and best built teams for a postseason run. And within that, the Astros, to me, again, until someone knocks them off, it's hard to pick again when they're firing on all cylinders as they are now. I am going to stick up for the Orioles a little here just because I do think for all that you're right about with, I'd say, with the pitching, although Bradish is a solid, you know, has been very good. And I, I do think that their, their move to the six-man rotation also is going to have positive benefits as far as hopefully keeping some young pitchers fresher going into the uh, into October. But the key thing that just stands out for them for me and something I think that becomes more important as we get to the postseason is just how good their defense is. Like if you look at how athletic, but also just how good they are defensively at so many different positions, I do think that that's something I'm going to be very fascinated to watch for come postseason because in situations where everything gets magnified, but that one play that you should make that you don't could cost you or that play that you should make that you do, they are going to be able to do that. And I'll be, I will be very interested to see, uh, you know, how that, that all plays out, but okay. But that's kind of the world series. What we see with a month to go two months till we'll actually know the answer to that. But we also have, I feel like especially we touched on it after last night where I don't want to put politics in it, but it felt like if we were talking about an election, we had like a, a, a debate last night and the top two candidates in the national league, both got to make their case to the voters and both of them did everything you possibly could to make their case. Um, I, the answer here is, is there is no wrong answer. With a month to go, how do you look at Ronald Acuna, Mookie Betts, and and how that shapes up? Yeah, this is going to be a, a fantastic race going down to the final weeks of the season. I, I think coming in to the last month or so, you'd say, oh, yep, this is Ronald Acuna Jr.'s year. He's going to win MVP. You look at what he's on pace to do. Mookie Betts in August was on another planet hit 11 home runs, 51 hits in the month, hit over 450, and in a lot of ways carried the Dodgers. The Dodgers went 24-5 and five in August, the best record in the major leagues. And when you look at the Dodgers, this is a team that a lot has gone wrong this year. They've had a lot of starting pitcher injuries. A lot of their starting pitchers have been ineffective. Julio Urias has been nowhere near as good as he was last year. Talk about Clayton Kirsten injury, Dustin May going down, Tony Gonsolin going down, having Tommy John surgery, needing it. Um, the bullpen was, was very, very shaky early. And a lot of the young guys they were counting on to be reinforcements, it didn't work out offensively. This offense had some real holes in it, the bottom of the lineup early in the year. 
and they've made some additions again, bringing in Lance Lynn, Ryan Brazier. Um, you know, they, they've done some good things, but Mookie Betts has really taken this team and, and put them on his back along with Freddie Freeman. And you look at it now, as amazing as Ronald Acuna Jr. has been, Mookie Betts' OPS is 40 points higher. He has more home runs. He has more RBIs. He has more doubles. Um, he's really, in my opinion, kind of put himself at the top of the list as amazing as Ronald Acuna Jr. has been. I think when you look at it from a most valuable perspective, what Mookie Betts has meant to the Dodgers, how he has elevated them, how he has carried this team that was sagging for a while. I mean, go back to June. This, this team did not look like they were in great shape. And again, I just look at that, that 40 point difference in OPS. If it was five points, 10 points, that's one thing. But I mean, Mookie has just been so, so, so on another level over the past month, especially you look at the season he's had now, it's an MVP season as incredible as Acuna Jr. has been. Now, again, a lot can change between now and the end of the season. But if the season ended today, I, I actually think Mookie Betts would get my vote. What about you, JJ? The one other thing that I think that kind of, and again, I do think this is going to go down to the wire, but the thing that also stands out to me for, about Betts is you hit on it. The Dodgers have kind of at times been scuffling to figure out, okay, how do we put together this lineup? Mookie Betts is and has been a, a gold glove right fielder. That's kind of what he's been. But this year, hey, Mookie, we need you to go back to second some. Okay. And no problem at all. He's done it. And actually, it's a situation where he's played a lot of second base this year. This isn't something where they needed him for a week and he did it. This is something where he is now a second baseman slash right fielder. But though, then let's put the cherry on top. Back when they didn't, you know, again, we get, again, Gavin Lux has been gone all year. The guy who was supposed to be their shortstop. So what happens? They're really kind of hurting at shortstop. What do we do? Mookie Betts, who I believe last played shortstop maybe in the New York Penn League. I mean, at very early in his minor league career as a Red Sox, if I remember correctly from our when we reported at the time, moved to second base because he had some throwing issues at the time and all that. But this is a guy who was not a shortstop, had not been a shortstop in a decade. Hey, Mookie, can you play shortstop for us? Starts games at shortstop, plays other games at shortstop when, hey, we need to move guys around. Oh, no, I can play short. That's when we talk about value, such a nebulous, hard to define term. But obviously there is something incredibly valuable, not just about the flexibility that that gives you when he's able to do that, but also there is a significance to it when the best player on your team is also just willing to like, what are you, where do you need me today? I'll do it. There is a value to that as well. And again, that is nothing takes nothing away from an incredible season that Ronald Acuna Jr. is having. But when I look at it right now, I do think that that's kind of like, if I'm trying to weigh all of these things up, there's some value to that because it, it allowed the Dodgers to be better at times to put their best lineup out there in ways that really they shouldn't have been able to, because you shouldn't be able to ask 
your established veteran right fielder to play a position he hasn't played since he was a teenager. And the thing with Mookie Betts, too, is it's not like he just trotted out there and played the part. He was pretty good. So you mentioned second base. He's played 51 games at second base, been really good there. The 16 games he played at shortstop, he was pretty darn good. I mean, it, it just a remarkable level of athleticism, of aptitude. Look, we knew Mookie Betts was one of the five best players in baseball coming into the season. That wasn't a secret. Um, but, you know, his last two years, he talked about it, were still good, but they were below his peak years that he'd had with Boston. He was even better offensively this year while playing three different positions, including both middle infield spots, really saving the Dodgers at times. You, know, you talked about their shortstop situation. There was a point when, again, Gavin Lux was lost for the year. Miguel Rojas was down. I mean, they, they were out of bodies, people who could play a major league caliber shortstop, and he stepped up and did it. Um, I, I think the season he's had is MVP worthy in every way. But again, there's still a month left. And I would say that the race is close enough that if Ronald Acuna Jr. has the kind of month like Mookie Betts just had a month from now, Ronald Acuna Jr. might get my vote. It's it's really, really fun watching two elite talents go head to head. Again, as Mookie Betts said last night post game, when someone asked him about it, he's not playing Ronald Acuna Jr. He's playing the Braves. The Dodgers playing the Braves. But that individual head-to-head is is certainly fun to watch and track. And I know I'm looking forward to seeing how this race shapes up over the course of the year. One last thing with that. It maybe shouldn't, but how the human brain works. How significant do you think it would be for Acuna's MVP candidacy for him to hit kind of a milestone? He's already... The, I believe the first member of the 3060 club, 30 home mm-hmm. runs, 60 steals. But let's say that he becomes the first member of the 4080 club, for instance. You know, he finishes, he gets 20 more steals in September. He gets 10 home runs, which would be an incredible month. But if he became 4040 was like when I was growing up, this kind of like mythical magical number 30 30 was important 40 40 was was crazy if he got to 40 80 do you think that the significance of that would sway some voters even if let's be honest the difference in reality between 40 80 and oh he finished at 38 83 really isn't that much from the standpoint of what a great year he had but do you think that could affect people yeah, I, I think there's definitely going to be some of that. But I think more than just hitting the milestone, if he's 40-80, that means he will have finished September with 10 homers and 18 more steals. And I think, again, a strong finish like that and, and really putting himself along with Betts in the sense that Betts right now, as I mentioned, you know, has an, an eight-homer lead on him, has a 15-RBI lead on him, has a 40-OPS-point lead on him. You know, if Acuna is closing those gaps and you look at it and said, man, it's really close. They're neck and neck. And he's got this, you know, 40, 70 or 40, 75 or 40, 80 season. Yeah. I mean, that definitely is going to sway some voters. And, and I wouldn't say that it's wrong. To me, it's more about just, again, closing the gap a little bit with bets in some of those categories. And if he has a month like that where, yeah, you look up and those are his numbers, 
you would assume that he's closed the gap unless Mookie Betts somehow again hits 455 with 11 homers and 51 hits in September again. So um, it's going to be a fun race no matter what. These are two elite, elite talents. And I know this for me, you know, this is baseball at its best. We talk about this series, these elite talents. It, this is what baseball is all about. This is what the pennant race is all about, what September baseball is all about. And um, it, it's a lot of fun. And I know I'm looking forward to seeing what happens over these final 30 some odd games. So the other thing that September also means is we get, it's not nearly what it was. We don't have 40 man roster expansion, but we do have roster expansion and September call-ups. And I would say the most prominent example of which so far is the Yankees outfielder, Jason Dominguez. And I say that, and I, again, I, this is always difficult to say from a hype perspective, that is undoubtedly true among the quality of prospect. It's also debatably true. They also brought up Austin Wells. Who's also a top hundred prospect for us, for the Yankees. I do think both of them, obviously the Yankees are absolutely now looking towards the future. Both of them should get a chance to show what they can do. Both of them should get a chance to show that they fit in the 2024 plans. But Kyle, having said that, I, I want people to have hopefully realistic expectations of what a good September with Jason, with both of these guys, but let's start with Dominguez. What does a good September look like for Jason, a realistically good September for Jason? I think it's more about just him getting comfortable, you know, seeing big league pitching, having good at bats and not getting overly focused on the numbers. We have to remember this is a 20 year old kid. He doesn't turn 21 until next February. I think with Jason Dominguez and one of the things we've talked about a lot at baseball American, we've written a lot about, you know, we've been careful never to hype him. You know, there've been some crazy comparisons made. You'll notice they were never made in the pages or scouting reports at BA or on any of our podcasts. He's a very, very talented kid. He got $5.1 million, was the top prospect in his international class, and has moved very, very quickly. You have to remember, he got his career started a little later than expected because of COVID. And here he is in the majors at 20 years old. He had a really, really good last two months, you know, July and August, double A, triple A. This is a very good player, switch hitter. He's athletic, he's strong, controls the strikes on well, can impact a baseball there's a lot to like here, but again, I think it's important people measure him for his ability and appreciate him for who he is as a player and not measure him against the unfair hype that was put on him when he was 16, 17. You know, don't compare him to Mike Trout or Mickey Mantle or, or any of that stuff. That's not fair to him. And just let him go out, play his game, and, and show what he can. I think, in terms of a September call up, if he comes out and lights the world on fire, awesome. That's great for him. But even if he doesn't, I, I don't think anyone should panic or be upset or, you know, throw their arms up. I, I think overall, just looking for him to get some experience, quality at bats, play good defense in the outfield and, and show that he can get comfortable at this level and moving into next year, take on a larger role, whether that is making the opening day roster and being their opening day center fielder at 21 or even if it means, hey, just go back get a little more AAA time, but then we'll call you up later in the year to stay. That's what I'm looking for. He's a very, very talented kid. He's very, very, very young. And I would implore everyone to just assess him for who he is. Don't try and compare him to 
Hall of Famers who were the best player in the game at their peaks. Um, that's just not fair to him. And, and look, he, he's a good prospect, a four-time top 100 prospect for us. He's never been in the top 25. He's, he's currently in the back half, the 50 to 100. He's a really good prospect, but expecting him to be the best player in baseball, uh, again, I think just, just wouldn't be fair to him. Well, and the other thing with that is, is that it is also, if this is a, a little sneak peek, but he then heads back for most of 2024, as you note, he's 20. So that would still make him, he could return again, for which he won't, he's on the 40 man now. But if he didn't return again after this call up until 2025, he'd be a 2020, he'd be a 22 year old big leaguer, which is in no scenario of the world. Like, oh, well, he's clearly, it just feels like he's been around for forever because he's been so famous since the day he signed. But the other part of that is, is that he had a slow start to this year and then he got better and better. But we are talking about someone who has slugged, he's always gotten on base, but he slugged 425 this year. He hit 265. It's not something where you are seeing overwhelming minor league production so far. So I think it's unrealistic to expect him to hit the majors with overwhelming major league production. Again, like you say, letting it his feet wet. Be interesting also with Wells. I think with Wells, the question is going to be much more if he gets a chance to catch some, like how does he look as a catcher? Does he look as a uh, plausible there? Does he look plausible as a future regular there? Does he look like he needs to probably focus more on first base or other out, you know, like or or other positions? That's what I'm going to be interested to see with, with Wells. But beyond that, I have one guy, and maybe you have the same guy, but I, I'm also interested to see what Alexander Canario does. Up with the Cubs now, speaking of the Cubs we talked about earlier, most importantly, a tip of the cap, because Canario probably would have been up earlier this year if not for the fact that he had a very serious injury in winter ball last year that kind of – Put, if not this season, kind of hit, you know, that his, uh, what was he going to come back like? I mean, this was not a, oh, you, you turned an ankle. This was a serious leg injury. You hope that he would come back at full speed. He's been hitting very well lately. It's good to see him. He's been on the 40 man for a couple of years. So it's good to see him kind of get this opportunity. That's the guy I'm looking forward to see in September. For you, is there anyone else that you're looking forward to, like who's been called up, like, hey, Let's let's see what he can do, or is it Canario in your case as well? Yeah, I mean Canario is the main guy. You talk about that injury. I mean he fractured his left ankle and dislocated his left shoulder in the Dominican Winter League last year. I mean it was a very 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 serious injury situation. They weren't sure if he's going to come back at all. And like you said, he came back. Um, you know some rehab games, went to AAA, hit well, and he has explosive power. I mean he has game changing power, and we've seen him improve as a hitter just in terms of the types of pitches he's hitting, the type of pitches he's taking, just his overall plate discipline and polish. So, you know, we talk about the Cubs. This is a team in the pennant race. You know, the Yankees, these September call-ups are, hey, we're out of it. We're taking a look at the future. Um, talk about, you know, the Mets with Ronnie Mauricio and then bringing Brett Beatty back up. It's same deal. Hey, we're out of it. Take a look for the future. The Angels, after all their waiver moves, you know, bring up Kyron Paris, same deal. Canario's the one guy of the announced call-up so far that will be making his major league debut that in theory has a chance to impact the pennant race. You know, maybe it's just one or two big hits here or there. 
But we've seen guys like Christopher Morrell come up for the Cubs and, and provide some immediate impact in exciting ways. So in that sense, I think Canario is the guy that I'm watching the most just because he's going to be in a position to make the biggest difference. And he has that game-changing power where even if he you know, comes up and has that adjustment period where maybe he's you know, swing and missing a little more as he's adjusting to big league pitching and, and maybe the final numbers don't look great, but he has a chance to have a moment or two with, you know, two or three big hits or home runs that can change a game and, and help lift the Cubs. That to me is going to be what's going to be fun to watch. So I, before we wrap this up, the one other thing I think we should cover is we look at the angels who uh, obviously they weren't the only time the, the Yankees also Harrison Bader was put on uh, waivers and was claimed, but the Angels, pretty much, uh, you know, the 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 hey, let's see if we can get under the 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 luxury cap tax cap uh, waiver wire moves of late August. Two questions with that. The first one is, knowing what we know now, what should how should we evaluate what they did a month ago? You know, I, I still think the Angels did the right thing buying. When you look at it, they were three games out of the playoff spot. This is their last guaranteed year with Shohei Otani. They were playing well. And you said, you know what? Let, let's go for it. This is our last guaranteed chance with Shohei Otani. We're in this thing. Let's give it a go. I still think they did the right thing. You can do the right thing and have it not work out. That's sports. That's life. I mean, I think about, you know, use a football analogy. You know, you're a cornerback, you've got, you know, perfect coverage on a wide receiver, you know, you're blanketing him, everything's right. And sometimes the wide out just goes up and makes an exceptional catch. You did everything right. Just, it happens, you know, hockey, you know, you can put a perfect shot on net and sometimes the goalie just makes an unbelievable save. I mean, even baseball, you can make a perfect pitch and sometimes the hitter just puts a great swing on it. I mean, you can do the right thing and it doesn't work out. And I think from a bigger picture perspective, I do think the Angels did the right thing. You have a chance to get to the postseason with Shohei Otani for the first time in what very likely will be your last year with him. You take that shot, and it just didn't work out. They went 8-19 in August, the worst record in the American League. Uh, it started off pretty early, right out the gate in August. Uh, their bullpen blew a couple games early. It spiraled from there. Lucas Giolito did not pitch well at all. And... Look, it happens, and really the nadir of the season was you know, on the same day when Mike Trout goes back on the I.L. and Shohei Otani uh, is found out to UCL again. I mean, for that to happen the same day was just a huge gut punch to the organization. And these are things you can't predict and can't account for necessarily. Um, look, it happens, and now they're just adjusting. You know, things went really poorly in August, and – now it does make sense to clear some payroll, get under the luxury tax, and, and maybe give some younger guys a look. Um, this is an Angels team that, assuming Shohei Otani leaves in free agency, and there's every reason to believe he will, this is probably the time to, to kickstart a rebuild, and, and that means letting some of the younger guys play. We've seen them bring up very, very rapidly. You know, Zach Neto, Nolan Shanuel, you know, you have Logan Ohapi back. Mickey Moniak has been very good in the outfield. You know, now's the time to to really, really maybe build around some of the younger guys and bring up some other ones to see who deserves to be a part of the future moving forward. The, the rough part of that is is it's probably time for a rebuild. Um, but if you're an Angels fan and you say, wait, when were we not? It's crazy as it sounds. It's also a fair question considering it was 2015 was the last time that the Angels had a winning record. So it's it's one of those things that is amazing. 
that that they've literally been you know they they have been trying to win for the past near decade with having the best player in baseball for the majority of that time that that mantle shifted but they had Mike Trout who they still have and then he took the crown and said Shoei now that's your crown and they haven't had there's not just a, not a playoff appearance but they haven't had a winning record since 2015 which is amazing the one other thing i did want to touch on with this is is that this was new this is the law of unexpected consequences i would say which is we no longer have the waiver trade deadline we no longer have the revocable waivers where you can put a player on waivers to see if you can trade them in august and then pull them back that's gone but now we saw kind of the unintended consequences with that which is teams that are out of it potentially impacting pennant races by putting massive parts of their roster in this case a whole lot of the angels roster on the waiver wire right before the the, the deadline the september 1 deadline for for Fort to be on the roster to be eligible for the playoffs the one question i ask with that is i think it's not that big a deal if it's something where Every again, it's the waiver claims. It, everyone has the opportunity, but I do think there's one thing that needs to be tweaked. I wonder what you thought about this. I don't think it should be something where if you have claiming priority, you get to claim them all, right? I think that it should be where okay, Cleveland is at the front of the waiver claim priority list among the teams who are in contention. So great, they get the first shot, and then they say. We claim Giolito. Now they may want Lopez. They may, you know, they they may want the other guys too, but it's like we get one, and then it goes to next in line, who again, and everyone gets to claim one before then someone else comes back. I don't think that we should ever have the possibility <laughs> of a scenario where a team that's on the edge of the playoff race could theoretically, if this gets even more popular, claim seven guys on August 31st and transform a pennant race theoretically because they were two games worse than the other team that wanted to claim them. I just wonder what, what you thought about that. I've had the same thought. I think that would be one tweak I would like to make to it where it's essentially like a draft order. Your slot comes up, you pick one player, and then it goes back around the horn and you have to wait until everyone else gets to pick before you potentially get a shot at a second player. So I, I do think that would be one tweak I'd like to see. I don't think this was a, a huge, huge, huge deal. I do think the Guardians, look, they were smart to go get the players they did uh, with this opportunity. We saw the Reds upgrade their outfield with Hunter Renfro and Harrison Bader. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was kind of cool to see, you know, those teams be aggressive and, and also these players get a shot to go move into a pennant race situation late in the season. But I agree. I, I think that would be one tweak that could serve the process well you get one pick as a waiver claim and then it goes to all the other teams and you have to wait until it comes back around to your turn before you get to pick a second player. That's one tweak I would like to see them make. And, and we'll see if they do it after, uh, after what transpired this year. We covered a lot. There's a lot still to be covered because we still have one more month of the regular season, in the major leagues we have. Now we have kind of the staggered minor leagues as well. We have the rook, the complexes are done. The rookie ball is done. Now we're getting ready to see the end of the Class A seasons. Then we'll see Double A. 
and AAA kind of, which now basically AAA season almost mirrors the major league. So we still have a lot of minor league baseball as well. We have a lot of discussion to do on our Baseball America Major League and Minor League Player of the Years, which are coming up. There's a lot, obviously, also at BaseballAmerica.com. Check it out. We have today, as we record this on Friday, an analysis of what the addition of, and I'm still wrapping my brain around this, but the addition of noted noted Atlantic Coast uh, geography teams like uh, <laughs> Stanford and Cal, as well as uh, SMU, that are now part of the ACC, what that means for baseball. We also have uh, you know, a, 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 a capstone to Xavier Isaac's Great Month in Prospect Port. We have a look at Nolan Chanuel and, and what he's doing and also what can he do going forward and a whole lot more. BaseballAmerica.com. As always, thank you to our Baseball America subscribers, but also thank you for being a podcast subscriber if you're listening to this. If you're a subscriber, we thank you. If you're not, click that subscribe button so you can get every Baseball America podcast. And as well, if you could leave a review on however, wherever you get it, whether that is Apple or whatever Android device or desktop or whatever, Leave a review, five-star review, especially helps other people find the podcast. For Kyle, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. 